0: The first time someone tells you, I love you, is incredibly important, isn't it? Do you know when God first declared His love for His people? And do you know what we need to do to show God we love Him? Hi, I'm Yvonne Prent, and welcome to Bible 805. In our lesson today, we're going to answer these questions as we look at the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy was written by Moses, and it contains his final three sermons. He'd led the people for 40 years, and he knows that he will soon die, and the people will go into the land without him. Now, in these sermons, he summarizes all they've been through. He restates the important parts of the law, and he gives them a new vision of God's love and promised blessings, if they obey, and his increasing punishments, if they sin. Now, in many ways, this book is a bridge from the formation of the people of God, where he took them out of Egypt, and through the 40 years in the desert... To in the next books, where we start in with Joshua, Judges, and the other historical books, you're going to see the history of the people of God. But before we get into that, let's look at the book of Deuteronomy. Now, the book begins in this way. These are the words Moses spoke. Now, listen carefully to this next statement. This speech was given on February 15th, 40 years after the people of Israel left Mount Horeb, though it takes only 11 days to travel by foot from Mount Horeb to Kadesh Barnea, going by the way of Mount Seir. This is Deuteronomy 1 uh, verses 1 and 2 in the Living Bible. Now let that sink in. Did you listen closely? It took them 11 days to go. Horeb is also known as Mount Sinai, so where they had lived for approximately two years where they learned how to be God's people, where they got his commandments, all those kinds of things. It took them 11 days to go from there into the promised land. But they weren't only in the desert 11 days, were they? They were there 40 years. And it was not a scenic, enjoyable trip. It was a trip through the desert. There was no food. There was no water. There was nothing but rocks and sand. And every single day, they had to eat man. Now, I was thinking about this as I was putting together the lesson, and at first I thought, you know, that doesn't seem like it was very nice of God to make them eat manna for 40 years. I mean, he's the creator of everything. He could have done so much. And as I was sort of grousing around on that, the Lord reminded me that manna for 40 years was not the original plan, nor was it for them to go without water Or was it for them to be wandering in the desert? Manna was created initially to be a very short-term solution. They'd run out of food that they'd brought with them from Egypt, and they needed this until they went in the Promised Land. It tells us later on, and you'll see in the book of Joshua, that immediately when they set foot in the Promised Land, they were able to live off the land. It says that the manna ceased. So God only intended them to have it for a little while while. But because they didn't trust God, they had to eat that same thing for 40 years. Now, one quick application, and then I'll talk about this just a little bit more, because this is really an important lesson right from the start. Much of what we complain about, we brought about. Did you hear that? Much of what we complain about, we brought about. We bring so many problems on ourselves, a lot of times because we don't trust God. So whenever you're grousing about something, think about the man and think about how can I actually trust God in this situation instead of complaining about it. Now, another application on this is God allows the delays that come into our lives to happen. Now this can happen for various reasons, not all of them bad. Sometimes we just need to grow. Joseph was in prison. He went through various jobs and all kinds of things where God took him from being this smart alecky teenager to be a leader of a nation and to save a people. He needed that time. He was not ready to assume the responsibilities when he first realized that he was going to be something great. The same with Moses. Moses obviously early on knew that God. God wanted to use him to rescue his people, but he decided he was going to do it his way. He killed a man, and he had to flee to Midian for 40 years, while God worked on him to develop him into the leader that he would become when he had to go back to Egypt and bring out the children of Israel. Sometimes God delays things, giving people time to repent. And we don't often think about this, but the Canaanites had over 400 years to repent of their evil ways. As we'll see in many stories as we go through the Old Testament, God gives people time to repent. He sends prophets and minor judgments before he will send a final major judgment such as removing them from the land. Sometimes delay is caused by disobedience. And this is the case in Israel where they didn't trust God. It could have only taken them 11 days, but instead it took them 40 years. Now, regardless of the delays, God's plans will always be fulfilled. His promises will always come true. They got into the land. And in addition to that, even though they were under judgment, God's love never wavered. A wonderful passage in Deuteronomy 29, and we're going to spend just a few minutes on this, is where it says, during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. Now, just that passage alone is very important and very encouraging, and we see God's love. But I'm going to give you sort of a little lesson on digging a little bit more deeply into a passage and what you can learn from that. Now, the timing of this passage is Moses brings this up. He's almost at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. It's the end of where he has gone over the covenant and his final challenges to the people. Now, what I'm going to do, how I want you to learn a little bit from this, is I'm going to read the entire paragraph. I pulled out just one sentence, and oftentimes I've seen that sentence just pulled out, and people say that this shows how god takes care of his people and that's true but let me read the entire paragraph and i'm going to read it in three different translations first of all in the niv yet the lord says during the 40 years that i led you through the wilderness your clothes did not wear out nor did the sandals on your feet you ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. In today's Living Bible, it translates it like this. For 40 years, God has led you through the wilderness, yet your clothes haven't become old and your shoes haven't worn out. The reason he hasn't let you settle down to grow to grow grain for bread or grapes for wine and strong drink is so that you would realize that it is the Lord your God has been caring for you and then in the message it says I took you through the wilderness for 40 years and through all that time the clothes on your back didn't wear out the sandals on your feet didn't wear out you lived well without bread and wine and beer proving in fact that I am God your God Now you see, when you look at it all in context, when you read the whole paragraph, and also too, you see different parts and different applications of it as you read the different versions, and I really encourage you to do that. One of the best commentaries that you can use on the Bible is just to read how different translators translated it. You can do this very easily online, where you can just look up different versions, and this will give you a deeper meaning of all of them. But what I think this shows us in looking at this paragraph as a whole is God gave them food, water, and material provisions when there was absolutely nothing available. And he did that as a constant daily reminder that everything in life comes from Him. The Bible commentator Robert Jameson put it this way, The preservation of their clothes and shoes, the supply of daily food and fresh water, these continued without interruption or diminution during so many years' sojourn in the desert. They were miracles which God unmistakably proclaimed the immediate hand of God and were performed for the express purpose of training them to a practical knowledge of and habitual confidence in him now when you think about it we're all really in the same situation without the lord we can't take a breath without him he we're just nothing he's given us absolutely everything the problem is, we don't have it so obvious to us. Now, sometimes if we, if we go through a really terrible disaster, it can make us more aware of our dependence on God. But whether we're in good times or bad, we need to remember that we are dependent on Him for everything, and we need to live like it but now they're ready to enter the land and so Moses gives them these sermons because just one generation ago think about it they were simply a mob of former slaves coming out of Egypt. Since then, they had been formed into and had become the people of God. The earlier generation had died out, the people that didn't trust. The people that remained, some of them were very young when God did miracles, but they needed to be reminded of what God had done, what he expected them to do, and what he was going to do. And so Moses gives these three sermons, and I'll go over each of them and just hit some highlights on them in just a few minutes. But before that, I want to briefly go over where they are as a people, where we are in human history because this is going to help explain some of the things that they were commanded to do and why God did what he did. Let's go back to the time of Noah. We know that all of sinful humanity was wiped out during the flood. Noah came off the ark with three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. Now, Jephthah is the ancestor of all of the European people. And it seems like he moved off fairly early on. We really don't hear a whole lot about him or his descendants. There. They're sort of out of the biblical picture. Then Shem was the father of the Semitic peoples and ultimately the Jewish race. They were the people that formed. The descendants of Shem were the people that formed the Jewish race starting with Abraham and then his grandson Jacob is the one that takes all of the people into Egypt where they grow into a nation. Israel, though, was always their promised land. That was the promise that was given to Abraham when he followed God's call out of Ur the Chaldees. He went and he settled in Israel and God said, this is the land that I'm giving to you and to your descendants. His grandson Jacob then is the one that goes into Egypt where they are for 400 years. So keep that line of people, separate, and just remember that's who they are. But then there's the third son, Ham. Ham is the ancestor of the Egyptians, but also the ancestor of the Canaanites. They stayed in the land of what we, we know as Israel. Now, keep in mind, they started out Their ancestor leaving the ark, we assume believing in God and following Him, but somewhere in the years that followed, they changed. They became tremendously corrupt, and they started worshipping other gods. We don't know how they lost their belief in the one true God, but they did, and the results were horrible. We don't have time to go into this in detail, but just overall, they started worshiping different gods. One of the primary ones in this part of the world was Baal worship. Baal was the ultimate god that uh, came into prominence in this area. He was a fertility god. His uh, worship included a lot of sexual perversion and really awful sorts of things. One of the worst things, though, in this pantheon of gods for the Canaanite people was Moloch. And Moloch was a horrible, horrible god that demanded child sacrifice. And we have many images and pictures of this that have come down through us in archaeology, so we know this is is truly what happened, is where it's this huge image, and it has it's sitting on a throne type thing and it has outstretched arms and then where the belly is is a open pit that a huge fire was burning in and what they would do is they would place a living child in moloch's arms and it would roll back and into the belly and be burnt and all of the writings about it at the time also say that when this was going on they would play really loud frantic music to cover the screams of the child. Now, God, needless to say, the one true God, detested this kind of worship. And this is the reason that He told His people, You are not to have anything to do with them, that you are are not to tolerate it, you are not to become part of it, you are to totally destroy this. And we'll talk about it more as we get into some of the historical books, and and we'll go into this in a lot more detail. The lesson from this that a number of Bible commentators have said, and the reason that God said, don't even go near it, don't even touch it, is God wants us totally committed to Him. You can't go near sin, you can't be involved in it even just a little bit, because it, leads, it can lead to very destructive things. That was the pagan world they were facing. And apparently the pagan worship was also very appealing because it seemed like they always had a hard time staying away from it. So they needed to be prepared. They needed to be reminded of what God was like. The older ones, of course, again, had seen God work. The younger ones had not. So that's why they needed the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy literally means second 감사합니다. <목소리도> law. Now, it's not new laws. It's a reminder, a summary, and an expansion of the past laws that have been given to them. Now, again, we're going to go over the three sermons. The first one is what God has done in the past. The second one is what God expects in the present. And the last one is what God will do in the future. The first sermon, what God has done in the past, this is Deuteronomy 1, 1 through Four forty-three, Moses is going to go back over the things that God has done. He reminds them of their deliverance from Egypt, and then how God literally spoke the Ten Commandments to them. In Deuteronomy 4, 12 and 13, it says, Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire, you heard the sound of his words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets." Now, even after this, it is amazing to think that they didn't trust God to do what he said he was going to do and take them into the Promised Land. Moses reminds them of their sin he reminds them that god forgave them but the consequences remained and they had been wandering for 40 years moses also recalls his own sin late in the journey where instead of speaking to the rock as god commanded him to he strikes the rock in anger and god says because you did not consider me holy because you didn't reverence me then you cannot go into the promised land but moses doesn't dwell on this. He then goes into their recent victories over Sion, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan. Now keep in mind, these weren't like kings over great big things. They were more like tribal warlords. But still, it was a big deal. And it showed the children of Israel that they could fight the inhabitants of the land and win. Now, as Moses finishes up this part, he gives a preliminary, what I would call, summary and challenge, where he says in Deuteronomy 4, 39 through 40, Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands, which I am giving you today, so that it may go well with you, and your children after you, and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. So, that's how the first section, the first sermon ends. Now, then he goes into the second sermon, and this is what God expects in the present. This is the largest part of the book. It's Deuteronomy 4.44-26.19, and this starts out with a repeat and a little bit of an expansion of the Ten Commandments. And then right after that, God says, Oh, that their ways would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always, so that it might go well with them and their children forever. I love that verse. In fact, I love all of the book of Deuteronomy. It's it's one one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. But here God is saying he wants people to obey him so it'll go well with them. Oftentimes people think that God is just this big meanie in the sky and that's going to pounce on them when they do anything wrong. And the truth couldn't be more different. God loves us, He created us, He knows what will make us happiest. And when we start thinking that he's he's being mean or cruel to us, that is simply not true. He wants things to go well for us. And in fact in this section, this is where he declares his love for his people. Now it's really interesting when you look back at, and you can look in a Strong's Concordance or one of those things and it'll show you if you just even look at the word love in the Old Testament. Here is the first time God declares his love for people now prior to this he said you're supposed to love him and you're supposed to love your neighbor you're supposed to love the aliens you're supposed to love the strangers he tells the people to love but here's what he says in Deuteronomy 7 6 through 9 the Lord your God has chosen you, out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you, because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you, and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. Now based on this covenant of love, the sermon then goes on to tell them how they are to live. They are to drive out, they are to destroy all pagan worship. The emphasis here is they are to worship only where and how God chooses. Now he does not go into detail. There's no repetition of the Levitical ritual laws. Those for the Levites, it's understood that they are to obey them. But he says you are only to sacrifice in the tabernacle, only do it in God's way. Then he goes into many of the details of life. You're supposed to do this, you're supposed to do that, this is how you're to treat other people, this is how you are to treat people in your family, different punishments for disobeying. There are a number of key passages from this section. There are so many. Please do take time to go through the book and read it carefully, but let's start out with the Shema. This is in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and this is the defining statement of the Hebrew faith then and now. Now we get that term Shema, that's from the first word in the statement. Shema means to hear and it starts out, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might and these words that i command you today shall be on your heart you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates now just one little note on this the word elohim the is we translate it God and it is a plural word it's a plural word of the Hebrew word one which is the Hebrew echad now this can mean a singular thing but it's often used to signify the joining together to make one this is kind of neat this is the word that is used in genesis where it says therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh it's the word echad And you see it's two persons, but one flesh. And the same kind of idea, you see we have three persons in the Trinity, but one God. And in the Shema, we have a clear description of the Trinity, the three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now it's very interesting what Jesus did when he repeated this commandment, because he adds to it, where he says in Mark 12, Twenty eight through thirty, where it says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, meaning Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now it is interesting because he takes a commandment out of Leviticus and then adds that to the one in Deuteronomy. The second passage I wanted to point out is a warning against false prophets. And this says in Deuteronomy 13 1 through 4, if a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or wonder, Now listen carefully to the next part of this verse. And if the sign or wonder spoken of takes place, and the prophet says, Let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you will love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow. It is the Lord your God you must revere. Keep his commands and obey them. Serve him and hold fast to him. Now the emphasis here is that no matter what things look like, no matter what happens, you are to believe God. And the reason that I included this particular thing, when there are so many that I I could have chosen, is because in our world today, you really cannot trust your eyes. I've been involved in design and church communications for a long time. And I remember telling my church audiences when I when I did uh, live seminars, when F- Photoshop first came out, that you absolutely cannot trust anything that you see anymore. The only thing we can really trust is the Word of God, because things can be manipulated with images. And now they can do all kinds of things with movies, they can have people that have been dead for a long time appear, they can dance, they can sing, they can do all kinds of things you do not know what is true but truth is real truth is solid it's based on the Word of God and on the character of our God. And this is, this is incredibly important for us to remember, no matter what might happen in our world today. And, of course, in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord warned people about that a long time ago. Now, the third thing that I want to talk about, that I want to point out about Deuteronomy, is this is the book that Jesus quoted from extensively during his time on Earth. Now, you will, you will read in a lot of conversations, commentators, they say that Jesus quoted out of Deuteronomy more than any other. That's not true. I wish I could say that, but it isn't. He actually quoted out of the book of Psalms the most, but he did quote out of Deuteronomy quite a bit, and this is the book he quoted out of during his temptation. Remember in Matthew 4, after fasting for 40 days, it says he was hungry. He was. Can you imagine? I heard starving to death described this way a while back, and I don't know why it struck me more than any other description had, where the person said, you can literally feel your body consuming itself. And Jesus was at that point. Satan comes to him then, and he tempts him to turn stones into bread. And Jesus replied from Deuteronomy 8.3, Man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then Satan tempted him to throw himself from the temple and see if God would rescue him. But Jesus replied from Deuteronomy 6.28, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And Satan's final temptation was that he offered to give him control over all the earth, which by the way shows us that Satan is the one that's in control right now. If Jesus would worship him, although God always has a final say-so, But Jesus replied from Deuteronomy 6.13, Fear the Lord your God, serve Him only, and take your oaths in His name. Now, if Jesus used the book of Deuteronomy, if he used God's word in all of these times of temptation, a really interesting application for us, and this this is not original with me. One of the commentators that I was reading said this, and I thought it was just great. The person said, if we want to be like Jesus, we always talk about, you know, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus act in this situation? He said, well, one of the things that we, we should do is we should really know our Bible well and memorize scripture. Because that's what he did. Because you see in his earthly ministry, in talking to people when people challenged him, he would immediately respond with scripture many times before he would even use his own words. And you can't... Take time when you're in the middle of an argument or a challenge or a temptation or a tremendous sadness or whatever it is. You don't always have time to Google verses on encouragement or verses on how strong God is. You've got to have that in your life. You've got to have that as part of you. And so we need to follow Jesus' example. In Psalm 119.11 it says, Your word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. And the book of Deuteronomy is a great place to start learning some of those things. Now on the third sermon, God talks about what he's going to do in the future. And basically, this is one of the most important things. And this is really important to keep in mind for the entire rest of the Old Testament that we will be studying. Because this this section in Deuteronomy 27.1 through 28.68, this goes over God's covenant with his people the pattern of covenants at that time was between a more powerful person and those that were dependent on him and what there would they would set for certain guidelines and then people would agree to them and then They were binding going forward. And this is what God does. He says, based on his redemption of the people from slavery in Egypt, he gave them his laws, he told them how to worship, and he has expectations for how they are to live. Again, they repeat many, uh, the book of Deuteronomy repeats in summary, many of the moral and civil laws. Again, the ceremonial is not repeated. This was the duty of the tribe of Levi. But the moral, the civil laws, many of them are repeated. And then he says, this is a summary statement of the punishment that will follow if they don't obey. God says, all these curses will come upon you. They will pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed, because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees he gave you. They will be a sign and a wonder to you and your descendants forever, because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity. Therefore, in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. He will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. Deuteronomy 28:45 through 48 but in contrast he has wonderful blessings for obedience and he challenges his people to choose life in deuteronomy 30:15 through 19 it says see i set before you today life and prosperity death and destruction for i command you today to love the lord your god To walk in obedience to Him, and to keep His commands, decrees, and laws, then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. The book then ends with Joshua blessing the people he passes on the mantle of leadership to Joshua and then he dies and of course whoever wrote about the death of of Moses was not Moses most likely Joshua wrote the ending of the book now let's look at some final applications of this wonderful book the law was given to the nation it told them how to live what they were created for, and how to please God. Now, as I was thinking about it, it was, it was a real blessing for the people because there's nothing worse, let's make this very practical, than not knowing how to make either a friend, a spouse, or your boss happy. If we don't know what somebody wants us to do, it can be very frustrating if we want to have a relationship with them. But God very clearly spells it out to them. This is what I want you to do. Now, keep in mind, this is the Old Covenant. This was a covenant to Israel. We can learn a lot from it, but the specifics don't apply to us. And this is particularly important for Americans, because Americans tend to think that all of the blessings and promises of Israel for them are for them, and they're not. They were for Israel. The promises that apply to us specifically are in the New Testament. Now, again, we can learn a lot from the Old Testament principles and ways that God wants us to live, but we can't pull out promises for Israel for prosperity and political success and all those kinds of things and say they apply to us, not to America, not to any nation currently. That was for Israel. Now, our covenant is with is the new covenant it's the new testament after that instituted after the death of christ and so keeping in mind that we have this new covenant let's listen to how jesus summed it up and we've talked about this before but as a reminder of the most important things that we are to do where jesus tells us you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. By obeying those commands that's how we show that today we love our God, that we love our Savior, and that we want to be His people in our world. That's all for now. Please check out the notes from this lesson. They're in downloadable PDF format at www.bible805.com, and I'd encourage you to sign up for the newsletter. I'm trying to add additional materials and links and resources to the site that you might find useful, and also I can let you know if I put up something special on the site. Please tell your friends about the podcast. Pray for us that more people will listen and that they will learn God's Word. It's so important to do that. They can start at any time, and I would really encourage you to tell your friends about them and get them to do it. You could really start in at any place. I encourage people to maybe start with my Truth and History series that gives you a real idea for the foundation of why we can trust the Bible, but really, jumping in anywhere you will learn about God's Word. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Prent, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus, and I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest. From loneliness to knowing you are loved. From turmoil to peace. From wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.